Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. This is Ex Libris On Air. My name is Brian Houston. Thanks very much for tuning in today. We are talking uh, about, uh, well, uh, it's, a, it's a little different because we go from uh, a person who's done a lot of songwriting to uh, taking some of those songs that, uh, they, that she couldn't find a melody for or chose not to use a melody for and turn them into poems. The name of the book is I Am With You, Poems Inspired by God. It is uh, published by Ex Libris, and it is written by Karen Chisholm. And Karen is on the phone with us right now from her home in Texas. Karen, how are you? Oh, I'm wonderful today, Brian. Thank you. Thanks very much for coming on with us. Now, tell me, first of all, you are a songwriter, correct? I am a songwriter. I'm a published songwriter. In fact, this afternoon I was in concert. In concert? Where? In Pasadena, Texas. Fantastic. Right outside Houston. So, very good. Yes. Uh, and uh, well-received, I hope? Oh, my, yes. Oh my! Now, I what, loved it. <laughs> what what kind of music? Well, this particular group was a group of senior citizens, and so we sang them songs they could sing along to, tap their feet to, and just make them feel good. And how long have you been singing and songwriting, performing? Oh, probably about thirty years. Oh, fantastic! Okay, now uh, in looking at the background on this, uh, I am with you. The book. Poems inspired by God. Uh, I understand that these are these are uh, possibly could have been lyrics to songs. Well, it's an interesting thing because um, I've been writing songs a long time, and I usually listen for God and I use His words as my lyrics. And so, uh, when I began hearing these things and writing them down, but I didn't hear a, a melody in the background, I just set them aside. And pretty soon, I had a drawer full, and eventually, I realized that God was pretty much talking to me in rhyme. In fact, one day I looked up at him at Ota and I said, do you always talk in rhyme? <laughs> because there's so many. But, but I was very surprised when he said to publish. What, what was it that, uh, why were you surprised, I guess, because you, you are uh, such a words and uh, music person? I was surprised because uh, famous people write books. You know, I'm, I'm just an everyday person. There's more to it than that. <laughs> well... I was surprised. I, I just never considered publishing a book. I never considered that that was even possible. Never even looked into it. But when I looked back over the poems that I had, I had stacks of notebooks full of poems. And I thought, oh my goodness. And every time I would call my friend who, my, who was my encourager and read one to him, he would always say, Karen, you have got to publish these. So, I published them. Well, 300 of them or so, uh, that would seem like such a waste if you hadn't shared them with people. That's right, and that's what he said. There are people out there hurting that need these words. And I thought, you know, these words were comforting to me, so I know exactly what he means. And I'd also like to say that everyone that reads even a little of my book, all of the people I've shown it to, are touched, immediately touched, and so many of them either say, I want the book, I'm going to get the book, I want to get this for so-and-so, it's beautiful. What is it that, uh, that touches them? Is it a common theme you see amongst all these people who give you feedback? 
they see themselves. They see themselves in the words. They hear God speaking to them, and in the part where I'm speaking to God in the book, uh, they they feel what's being said, and they connect with it, and they they want to own the book. They want to give it to people. They want to they connect with it. That's all there is to it. Now, when I was reading the background, uh, I understand a lot of this comes just from the, your daily quiet time. So, uh, tell me how these conversations go and how they became poems. Well, that's an interesting thing. Uh, usually, uh, every morning I can, I just go and sit in my little chair and I read my Bible or whatever. But I always have a notebook ready because I can hear God speaking to me. It's not it's not a voice I hear, but it's words inside me. And so I just get my pencil and whatever I hear, I write. And sometimes I'm thinking, hmm, I'm not sure, but I write it down. And then when the explanation comes, I'm like, Wow. So it's amazing. It's just amazing. So literally, it could be uh, daily journaling that uh, became poems. It could. It could. I have a lot of um, things that don't rhyme. And in fact, in this book, there are plenty of those. But um, I still know it's God, and He still answers questions. He still encourages. The first, in in the beginning, when He started talking to me like this, He would... Um, call me beloved. He would tell me he loved me, and I, I, it, it was kind of like I'm not sure, and yet I felt it. He was drawing me, drawing me, and he would he would call me endearments like that, and I would just write him down. And pretty soon, then I began listening for other things. It was beautiful. So in I, this, I gained a lot of confidence. <laughs> Yeah, apparently, and I, I want to ask, uh, with the book, I Am With You, um, mm-hmm. did you put these uh, poems in the order that you wrote them in the book, you know, so that you could kind of see uh, where you started and where you ended up at that point? Is that how that worked? Or No, it's an interesting thing. I had the dates on all of them, but okay. then I thought, because of the script in the book that was used for the titles of the poems, it, it took away. From it, hmm. so I just took all of the dates out of it. But it's interesting to to you can tell the theology changes as I grow and I get to know God better. Um, no, the way the book is um, is divided is I wanted as much of God speaking in there as I could get, and so the whole front of the book is God speaking, and then there's a smaller section where I'm talking to God and. Um, in in the back, there's a me-talking-to-you kind of a section. So okay. that's the way it was divided. You mentioned some of the people that uh, this book appeals to. Uh, just to, when you're talking about readers in general, what kind of person would want to read this book? Well, when God showed me the cover for the book, he showed me these little pink flowers all over it, and he said that this book is going to especially appeal to women. And so the cover of the book is Pink Flowers, all right, and it is so eye-catching. And so I have seen all of, all of the lady friends that I have, have that have looked at it, have, have the first thing that drew them was the cover. And then when they opened it and looked at it, I was like, Karen, that's amazing. That's got to be very gratifying. It is. But, uh, you know, I, I realize what they're saying. It's not about me. It's about God. It's it's it just absolutely oozes God. It it holds such an anointing on it that everyone who actually stops and reads it and looks at what it's saying 
is just drawn in. What What is one thing that uh, you want readers to take away from uh, this work when they read these poems? Well, I want them to know that God loves them. And all I can say is, in this book, I can say, God loves me. But you know, God's love is not just a Sunday school lesson. It's deep. It's real. It's abiding. He doesn't change his mind about loving us down the road somewhere because he is love. And, you know, really, he's been pursuing each of us all of our lives. He reveals himself in creation. All we have to do is look around us. And he's always been wooing us to himself. And he rejoices when we say yes. That's just amazing. And you know what else? He has planned for each of our lives to bring glory to him. I know in my case, I know he's really worth looking for. And he is so faithful to me. Everything he says he will do, he does. I can trust him. I think I've heard that song. Actually, I wrote a song like that. <laughs> there, there are a lot of them out there, and they, and they all seem mm-hmm. to have the same the same message that God speaks to people that way. Um, I, what is one of the more profound things that God told you uh, in writing this book when you were writing poems and you were uh, writing down what God was saying? What were some things? Uh, give me some examples of some things that just really uh, kind of blew you away. The fact that He wants us and that He will take us just the way we are. The thing that blew me away is he wants us to love him. But in order to do that, we have to love ourselves. Do you know that very few of us love ourselves, except maybe someone who is a narcissist, Mm -hmm. perhaps? But very few of us, we find fault. We look in the mirror every day to see where something else is out of place, or did I get this? We never look at ourselves and, and say, you did a good job. Have you ever heard anyone do that? No. No. They don't. And uh, when I found out that God wanted me to love myself, I'm telling you, that was a whole paradigm shift. I had to rearrange my thinking on just about everything because when, when I love me, I can love you. I can love him. I can love her. And when I see faults in other people because we all have them, it's like, so what? Well, tell me about you. And I look beyond them. And that's what God does for us initially. But he wants us to be able to do that for ourselves. And then we'll be able to do it for each other. So as you wrote these poems and uh, and you had these conversations with God, um, tell me about how you saw yourself, um, uh, I guess, first of all, growing in your relationship with God. Well, there's an interesting point in time. When I had been talking to God a long time, and I'd been writing His words every morning, and I got concerned because I didn't think that I was showing enough respect to God. I felt like I'd lost my awe somehow, and I felt like maybe I was being too familiar with the holy. And He said to me that um, Moses went through that, and He said that uh, he he had to come to the realization that if you're friends with somebody, you just talk to them. You don't stop and wipe your feet and take your hat off and hold it over your heart before you say, "Good morning, John. What's going on?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> and and he um, he told me that in time, when in in the Old Testament, uh, the children of Israel had 
just he just had it with him and he told Moses he was just going to wipe him out and start over with him and he said wait 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 a minute wait a minute if you do that then your enemies will say you can't keep your word you're you you won't do what you say you'll do and and so God had another thought about it I suppose but isn't that interesting that that we can affect we can affect so much in fact I have been studying and and I knew it before but I knew it brand new now that nothing happens in this world except through prayer. And so I have everybody I can think of and everybody I can call or walk into that I, I know, I'll ask, will you pray with me for this book? Because God has a big vision for it. And if we don't pray, it won't go. So they all help me pray. So you've seen a, a number of things impact you through the writing of this book so far, not just in the in your writings, but also in your relationship with God and your prayer life. Anything else? Yes, yes. It's 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 just amazing. I pray completely differently. I don't come tentatively and say, Well, now if you have time, would you do this? I don't. I I wait on God. I wait until uh I feel that this is this is what I can where I can bring this in. And I'll say, God, this is what's going on. I know you know about it. But I'm going to ask this, and you correct me if this isn't the direction you want me to go, but would you please, and then I'll just tell him what, what I have. And I always ask in Jesus' name, because mm-hmm. Jesus said he's the gate. So I definitely want to go through the gate. <laughs> <laughs> I love him so much. When you, um, obviously these are very personal prayers and a very personal conversation with God. And So why do you think it's connected with uh, people who are not in your shoes? Because it's so human. It's just plain humanity speaking. And everyone everyone connects on some level at some point. Because they've been there. They've thought that. They've said that. They wish they hadn't said that. Is there a particular? And God had me write it down. <laughs> no, that, that's fantastic. Um, is there a particular age group that this would appeal to, or is this pretty much universal? Well, I think this is probably for whosoever will. This is. I know I have some friends that think it's wonderful, and they want their children to have it, and then others have have seen it and said. My friends and I use this to to have a, a Bible study with, and we use this also along with our Bible because we want we want to talk to God and we want to know how God talks to us. What was the most challenging thing about writing this book? Editing. <laughs> <laughs> when you, so you, you had to find some of these three hundred didn't make it into the book. Is that what happened? <laughs> Well, actually, I chose forty. Oh, okay. That was well. That that's was, really I editing. That was the direction. So forty is a good number in God's book. So <laughs> it's there are forty of them. So will you have more books? I have another one that I am editing the manuscript on, and I will be submitting it to Ex Libris before the month is over. Outstanding. Very good. All right. And then, uh, as far as. Um, you know, we talk about the challenging part of this being the editing. What was the most rewarding or fun part of this? God's talking to me. <laughs> I love it, I love it, I love it. 
But he's also giving me words for people. Um, a very dear friend of mine was going through a severe trial. She's a young mother of two, and she had a stroke mm. that absolutely stopped her in her tracks. Mm. And while she was in the hospital and they had her sedated, um, I took a poem up there to her and I read it to her. And she, you could just see she just relaxed. Mm. In fact, I have a, a piece of that poem right here that I, I wanted to share with you. Please do. This is from the last book in the God section, in the God speaking section, and it's called Trial of Faith. And this is, this is the whole meat of the poem, if you want to call it that. It, it, it really is a word from God. It doesn't rhyme called A Trial of Faith, A Word from God. I didn't give you a feel-good faith. I called you to take up your cross and follow me. Remember, as Christ did, the joy set before you. Worship, as Job did, the God who does not explain. I have brought you by the path that brings me glory. Small trials, small faith, small glory. I will not be confined to small faith. I am. That's excellent. Very good. He speaks really beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that I've left out that I haven't asked you that you want to add before we wrap up the interview today? Well, there was one thing that I, I was expecting to be asked. Okay, today. I'm sorry. Then please ask yourself. Okay. <laughs> um, what three words best describe this book? Okay. And those three words are, God wants me. God wants me. Mm -hmm. and, and that applies to everybody. Whoever me is, God wants me. Very good. Where can we find the book? It's entitled, I Am With You, Poems Inspired by God by Karen Chisholm, and it's published by Ex Libris. Where can we find it? Well, it is available uh, from... Uh, Amazon online. It is available at Barnes & Noble. It is available from my website. And what is the address for your website? It is all lowercase I am with you dash chism dot com. I am with you dash chism dot com. Mm -hmm. Very good. And uh, again, uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I am very glad that uh, these uh, uh, unpublished songs became published poems that people could uh, mm -hmm. could uh, enjoy uh, with the conversations that you had with God. Mm -hmm. I am so blessed. I am so thankful, and I give so much glory to God because I never would have thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> and now you got more than one book coming, so there you go. I do. I do. <laughs> it's going to be fun. I already have the second one all put together, and and the poems keep coming, so... I guess we keep going. Fantastic. Well, keep writing. Uh, Karen, we appreciate your time. We wish you the best with the book, and uh, we look forward to seeing what happens with the next book. Thank you, Brian. Yes, ma'am. Karen Chisholm is the author of the book, I Am With You, Poems Inspired by God. It is published by Ex Libris. I'm Brian Houston. This is Ex Libris On Air. Thanks very much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Ex Libris returns after these short messages.
Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Erasing Adversity, Delight in Living, and the author, Linda Natinka Gullo. And Linda joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Linda. Hello. Great to have you with us. This is Thank you, Steve. This be an inspiring time together because that's what you've learned. You've learned about adversity, and you've learned that... Adversity really can make us stronger, as you put it, and we need to uh, just learn from it. We need there's tidbits of wisdom and strength during adverse times, as you explain. So, before we get into hearing about your view of this and and uh, some different aspects of your book, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, Linda, and and how the book came about. Well, I've always lived in the Chicagoland area and uh, had a very wonderful family to support me along the way. Uh, been available to teach people for years. I was a teacher for 30 years on and off while I raised my family. And then I ended up in uh, studying some theology and then finally ending up in the, the area of counseling. So I am a psychotherapist who has an office here in Crystal Lake for the last 17 years. And the book came out of all your experiences, not only in your own family, but some of the folks that you've assisted? Oh, absolutely. I'm involved in a lot of things within our community here in Crystal Lake, uh, from being with the ambassadors at the Chamber of Commerce to all kinds of community stuff. I'm always helping with something, and I'm a real involved Kiwanis member. So, our, you know, my avenue has always been kind of a mission to help people if I could, and I was very fortunate in my own life where things happened, but I could always kind of navigate through them. And at some point, um, that all changed for me. I went from have, being in a very wonderful Aussie and Harriet type of family to having a major crisis in our family with my husband having an accident. And it just transferred so much of the, the knowledge that I had before into one that became very personal and very, well, one that made me navigate through things that I wouldn't have wanted to navigate through, I guess. In times of adversity, as you write, it's hard to face facts and ho- and know how to react. So, you know, let's start there. Some people okay. say, why does this happen to me? Or, you know, I don't like this these uh, uh, cards that have been dealt to me. How do you begin with adversity? Well, I guess just facing it. You know, we all go through difficult times. People have 
accidents, they lose their their employment, um, their houses burn down. You know, we have all these terrible things happening around the world. It is really hard, and I guess the first thing we ask is, why me, Lord? But actually the question should be, well, what am I to do with this? You know, what what is this happening? Why is this happening to me, and what am I going to achieve by going through it? And I guess that's the question I kept asking myself through the years is, okay, I've been faced with this problem or that problem, and now what am I supposed to do with this? Uh, who do I turn to, and how do I how do I navigate through this? And so that was that was kind of a challenge. And when all this ha- began happening to me, I started writing a newsletter. And the newsletter 17 years ago was called "The Light in Living," and it actually came from the fact that I I worked in a resale shop, and it was a community uh, projection from a hospital, and we used to um, have people coming in who had been. Uh, had lost their homes or had come out of jail or whatever. And I began talking to all these different people and began to see that people were not living a delightful life. And so I came up with that byline, Delight in Living. I've since registered it so I can write under it. But I really believe that we have to delight in living and we can't live with a lot of regrets. And so I started writing a little newsletter to the people in this resale shop I was working with. And... um, began to take from their experiences and write bits of hope for them. And that's how that, that, that evolved. So how do we find hope? How do we learn to do that? How do we learn to see hope when we're in the midst of crisis? Well, first of all, I think uh, we have to take one day at a, at a time. We can't just look too far ahead because I think that's when we get very anxious. If we stay in the present moment... Uh, we can deal with things so much better. Also, there are always people around us, or we need to envelop ourselves with people around us so that when crises happen, we can genuinely draw from other people because other people have gone through similar things. They may not be going through the same thing you're going through, but we can take some wisdom from them, and I think that's where the hope comes from. As you write... You say it this way. You just talked about uh, this this wisdom. You say it's not the experience that counts. It's the nuggets of gold we take from the experience. And I guess your your husband wrote that. Well, my husband said that uh, in a in a very delusional moment. He he was hallucinating. Um, if you read the book, you know why. But he he was having a a problem uh, just trying to figure out who he was. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know where he was. And uh, I was standing at his, uh, the foot of his bed talking with the nurse and my daughter, and um, I said something about, oh, all this experience, what am I supposed to do with it? And that's when he came up with those words. And they have meant so much to me over the years because it's true, ever, whatever we do, whether we're in a car accident or whether we're walking down the street or we get cancer or something happens that's disastrous to us, um, we have to say, okay, I'm getting this, having this experience. I don't really want to forget it. I'm not going to forget it. You know, uh, like trauma victims, you don't forget it. So somehow you have to take some wisdom from that. What have I learned from this? Who's come in my path? Um, how am I supposed to have hope after this? Uh, and, and that's what we're, what we're looking for. We're looking for that tidbit of wisdom, that strength that comes to us from an adverse time. And to be able to see adversity, I don't want to call it, well, we wouldn't call it a friend. I guess we wouldn't go that far, but we would call adversity a teacher. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Because it gives you, us great be, insight. It gives us great insight if we let it. We want to grow. Um, Everybody needs to grow in, in, in strength in different areas where they're perhaps weak. Correct. And, you know, things are dealt to us at different times in our lives. And, you know, we, can, we don't always have control over any of these things. Uh, I think everyone is struggling, whether you're young or you're old, uh, whether you've grown up in a difficult time or whether you're enduring tough times now. You know, there's there's always a problem. There's always a something we can face, and we can say, okay, all right, adversity, here, here, here I am. I think it's when we ignore it that it just looms bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So we have to change our thinking. I think we can let it work for us and not against us. Because it's not about eliminating these thoughts about why we're going through all this or trying to analyze every aspect of it, because that just creates limitations in our mind. Well, that's right. And I think if if you look at the bigger picture and you say, well, tomorrow's a new day, a new day, new opportunities. If I have a disease, maybe there's going to be uh, some research, something that's going to help me. Maybe there's going to be a new drug out. Um, maybe they find that exercise is a you know, remedy of this. I think if we just keep our minds open and say, okay, you know, there's more to be had here. Uh, yes, I am in a very, you know, bad situation. Can I start a foundation? Can I help people? Do I have money? If I don't have money, who who can I look to for some resources? So I, I really, I, I, there's, I, I really believe that one of our virtues is hope and we can't lose it. We just can't lose it. And you take the team approach, as you call it. Mm-hmm, I do. I think, you know, as a married person, I was a team player with my husband, and there were so many things that he did, and I recognized that after after his accident and everything that I was still a team player, but I had to do a whole lot by myself, and um, I still have, I still try to include him in my life in many different ways, but I, I, I think that I've had to find other team players who could help me. Because... We can't live in isolation, as you write. We need one another uh, for success. And it, it basically, basically, others fuel us. That gives us the, the energy and the power to move forward. Absolutely. I think whether you're walking down a path and you have to climb a hill, you know, you reach out for somebody's hand, they give you a push, whatever. Um, I think that that's, that's the way we need to operate, whether we have a small business like I do I rely on the bigger businesses around me to give me inspiration and hope and direction. Um, I just think there are just opportunities all around us. And, again, we have to team up with people and we have to network with people and um, and learn to tr- trust people and, and know which direction to go. And they give it to us. They That helps us a whole lot. Well, life is filled with a lot of risk, sometimes even danger, but we can't avoid it. So somehow we've got to have the right mindset. Right, and that comes only with time. I mean, that's the one thing our senior citizens offer us. They, they've they lived through so many things, and often they have just some little word of wisdom, some nugget that we can hang on to, some something that's very, very strong for us, a good base for us. So the overall theme, as you write, how a family went from a happy, normal family into one of grief and sadness and obviously was not only able to survive but even thrive. I think so. Um, My children were 11 and 14 when all this happened, and I I write a couple instances that were difficult for them to navigate through. Um, They were trying to find out who they were and 
from everything being so perfect in a sense of being just normal everyday opportunities, things changed. It changed for all of us. It changed for me, I know, and it, it changed for my husband. Um, it it affected our children. It couldn't have. It had to affect our children because they were, you know, part of the whole thing. So I I wanted to write about it. I wanted to. The writing was therapeutic in its own sense, but I wanted to write about it and share about it because so many people said to me, uh, Linda, you really should write some of this down. Maybe it would help somebody else along the way. And that's been the whole purpose of the book. It's not a long book. You know, it's a quick read book. Um, but I hope it someplace in there someone will find just one line or one bit of something significant in their own lives that they can take and carry forward. We've been listening to Linda Natinka Gullo. She's the author of her book, Erasing Adversity, Delight in Living. Linda, what's the best way to get your book? Well, right now, if Libras has it, of course, you can call them. You can also uh, go online and get it from them. It's at Amazon.com. It's at BarnesandNoble.com. I just had two book launches here in my office uh, because I did have copies here, so locally people were able to get it from me. But uh, definitely, you know, Libris is the one who has um, helped me with this, and uh, that's the place to go right now. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate your, your uh, efforts in trying to get this uh, out to people so that it can be of use to them. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Abide in Me, A Daughter's Illness, A Father's Struggle, and a Reminder That the Miraculous Isn't a Thing of the Past. And the author is Chris Slaughter. Chris joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Chris. Hi, Steve. Great to have you with us. Uh, This is going to be quite a journey to... Share your daughter's not only one illness, but now the second one that can't even find a a reason why, which is beyond comprehension. But first of all, just let me read what you've written, just kind of an overview of what your book, Abide in Me, is all about. You say this, 
Over the last three years of my daughter's illnesses, I have struggled with a faith I thought was firmly rooted and have slowly begun to see the world in a different light. I hope to share with others what I have learned without having them go to the places I've been. So certainly a struggle, a journey of just asking the question, why, right? Why God, why? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, our, our story uh, begins in the summer of 2011. Um, my daughter started to develop this strange uh, coloring on the outside of her right leg, which she'd always had some skin issues, so we thought maybe some sort of eczema or something benign. Uh, went into a dermatologist, and through the course of, you know, a couple of appointments, biopsies, things of that nature, um, she was diagnosed with a very obscure autoimmune disease known as linear morphia. Um, it's something that uh, can cause scarring uh, that's superficial. It's something that can cause muscles and bones not to develop the right way. And it's something that carries with it the potential for a disability and in some rare cases, even death. Um, so we went through a process of, of several weeks where we were just trying to figure out exactly what we were dealing with there. Um, given its autoimmune in nature, uh, the, the kinds of things that you associate with autoimmune had to happen. Um, we had to put a six-year-old little girl on steroids and chemo. Uh, so we were going to Texas Children's once a week, getting infusions of those, which was you know a three to four hour process. That's obviously very unpleasant. Um, and through the course of that, you know you you're presented with a lot of questions uh, that you never think you're going to have to ask yourself uh, that early on in life. Um, you know, when we have kids, it, it's a world of expectations. We we think about all the amazing things they'll do and the wonderful things that they'll accomplish. Um, autoimmune isn't really something that comes to mind when you start through that process. So you, you start to uh, question the, the why, uh, as you pointed out a moment ago. Yeah, the, the, day, the day you found out, Chris, can you remember, uh, you know, be, being given that information, you and your wife? Uh, can I mean, the feeling that you must have Absolutely. had. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, so, so the 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 initial diagnosis came from a local dermatologist near where we live um, of of linear morphia. It was something we still didn't fully understand the gravity of until uh, we went in for a subsequent appointment with some specialists at Texas Children, uh, where they started throwing around concepts like you know disability. Um, they start talking about things where you may have to step even beyond something like chemotherapy and do surgery to remove parts. Uh, of your child's body they're affected by the disease in the hope that it doesn't spread. Um, so this, this sinking feeling, um, you know, my, my initial go-to reaction is usually one of, of frustration uh, and rage at injustice of something like that. Um, and it's obviously, you know, a very difficult thing to wrestle with where you hyper-focus on instantaneous healing. Uh, and when God doesn't deliver that in the way that you want him to, according to your schedule and your timeline, uh, it really causes a deep struggle from, from the sense of your faith. So she got better. She got better. She did. So after the first couple months of, of chemo infusions and steroid infusions um, with Texas Children's, we were able to get rid of the steroid piece of that. Uh, we downgraded to chemo injections, which I gave her at the house. Um, again, not, not a fun thing to stab your kid in the stomach with a syringe full of chemotherapy once a week. But um, she improved uh, and continued to improve and really got to a point uh, that sort of freaked the doctors out because you couldn't even tell that she'd ever had the disease, which is sort of unheard of for that affliction um, and was doing exceptionally well uh, for a very long time. So then a little over two years later, 
a new illness, this one beyond comprehension. Correct. So in, in December of 2013, um, you know, we, or December of 2012, uh, we knew that in January, so just a few weeks uh, after Christmas, we'd be able to stop chemo shots altogether. We were, we were finally going to be finished. Um, and then right around Christmas time, she started to have some trouble with a cold that migrated, we thought, to her ear and was causing some balance problems. Um, which continued to worsen to the point where she couldn't even stand up straight without starting to fall over. Uh, so we took her into some specialists, got some things checked out. Again, we were given diagnoses that seemed fairly run-of-the-mill, you know, deep inner ear infection, um, some, some more obscure things, but nothing really serious. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, one morning in January of 2013 where we sat down to play a game um, and she completely forgot the alphabet. She could make it through A, B, and C, but she knew nothing beyond that. Uh, and we knew we were obviously dealing with something far more severe than, than just a cold or an ear infection. Um, so it was a rush to the ER, uh, MRIs, spinal taps, all kinds of tests. Uh, and the initial expectation was, were some very obscure forms of encephalitis where your body basically starts to produce things that, that tear your brain apart. Well, beyond, beyond uh, even a comment of how to understand where you and your wife and, my goodness, your little girl, uh, and, of course, you have a son, right? Uh, you got, Correct. You yes. got a brother He's there. Two years younger than she is. Yeah, trying to figure out, uh, trying to understand what his older sister's going through. You say this, uh, you want to start by confessing a major weakness. I'm quick to think I have it all figured out. Wow. So all of a sudden, a person who basically looked at life and thought, eh, things are pretty good. Uh, you know, you even talk about pride. And then all of a sudden, this kind of, of uh, these kinds of events start happening. How do you see yourself now? Uh, so there's definitely been a process of maturation that's gone come about in the last couple of years. Um, uh, I tend to be a bit of a control freak, right? I think I can solve it if I just look at it long enough. And I, I've definitely had to admit that that's not the case. Um, there are things that exist that are well beyond our ability to comprehend and understand. Um, in doing that, though, and accepting the fact that I'm not capable of solving every single problem that comes my way, I free myself to kind of take a step back uh, and I can look at things with a different perspective and see the world around me where, you know, before I was focused exclusively on a specific outcome. Now, in every moment, I can try to find the presence of God. I can try to find ways to turn a situation that, that's awful into something that's useful and productive and can help other people. So your faith was shaken right to its core. Absolutely. Um, you know, when, when you hear things like mortality rate or disability and, and you're talking about a six-year-old kid, uh, when that same kid at the age of eight forgets who you are because her brain stops working, um, you know, you, you have a lot of questions uh, that, that seemingly go unanswered. And that's a very, very difficult thing to handle from a spiritual perspective. So it's, it's not so much about trying to understand why it's trying to understand can you stand there beside your daughter and be the rock that she needs you to be as her dad absolutely i mean you know the the kids have these we hope to paint this picture for our children right and, and it lasts usually about the first decade where they think that you can accomplish anything and that you know everything before they hit their teenage years and you ruin their life every day um 
to have your kids at a very, very early age realize that's not the case, uh, it, it shakes that perspective uh, and it, it sort of makes you question this role of protector. Uh, the problem isn't so much that you're not their protector, it's just what is it that you're protecting them from and what role do you play? And admitting the fact that there may be some physical things that are outside of your protection, but that doesn't address your role as a protector when it comes to their, their faith or their hearts or their emotions. So as you look at the future, do you still have doubts? Do you still, is your, where's your faith right now? Right now, I would actually say it's in a pretty good place. Um, you know, again, learning to let go of the, the concept that I've got it all under control uh, has allowed me to, to take a step back and see all of the places that I'd missed before where God was doing amazing things, either through the people around me or even, even through the way that my kids were handling all this or, or my wife. Um, we, we have a tendency, you know, if, if you're familiar with the Bible, there's a passage in 1 Kings 19 uh, where Elijah, who's a prophet at the time, is told to go out and wait on the presence of God. Uh, he's out in this, this mountain that's out in the wilderness. Um, and while he's waiting there, this massive wind comes through and shakes the mountain, but God's not part of the wind. Uh, there's this earthquake that emerges, but God's not part of the earthquake. There's a fire that comes through. God's not part of the fire. It's in this brief moment of complete silence and stillness that Elijah finds the presence of God and goes out to talk to him. So uh, I think that I kept waiting for the earthquake. Uh, I kept waiting for the wind, whereas now I've learned to just seek him in the moments of silence. Where's your daughter in all this? How's she thinking? Uh, how's she feeling? Where is she at in her relationship with God? You know, she's she's been an incredibly tough kid. Um, this is a spirit of tenacity, which is an infant was so intense that my wife was convinced she was going to train it out of her uh, because she was, she was a bit too rebellious, a bit too strong for her own good. Um, has been such a godsend and such a blessing over the last few years. Uh, when her first disease arose, late, late in the night, she was asleep. I went into her room, and I was, I was praying for her leg. And she sort of tossed, you know, rolled around and, and noticed that I was there, asked what I was doing. And I said, well, I'm just praying that your leg, you know, that, that everything goes the way that it's supposed to with your leg and that you're healed. And then, you know, just passing childlike comments, she said, you don't have to do that. I already know. It's good. We're fine. Mm. Right? So that, you know, part of you thinks is that ignorance or is that faith? Where, where do you draw that line? Um, as time has passed, uh, she's just refused every step of the way to admit that she's sick um, or to use that as a crutch or, or a handicap in any way, shape, or form. Uh, there was one morning last year where uh, she woke up and she couldn't walk because her legs weren't working. Uh, her memory was completely shot. Um, she, she couldn't really remember anything at all that day. Um, she was having trouble seeing. She was having visual distortions where, where nothing looked right. Uh, but she got up. She crawled over to the cabinets where we keep our board games. She pulled out Monopoly, of all things, and crawled over to a coffee table to set it up. And so my wife walked in and, and asked if that was really what she wanted to play, you know, knowing that it was way too complicated for what she could handle at the moment. And my daughter's response was, I can't remember how to play, so you have to explain it to me. I can't see well enough to read the cards. You have to tell me what they say. And I can't remember my numbers, so you have to do the money part, and you have to count the dice. But I'm going to beat you. <laughs> and that, that, in a nutshell, wow. is her reaction to all of this. My goodness, my goodness. Isn't that wonderful to have that kind of childlike faith? I mean, that's really, and what a teacher for all of you. 
Absolutely. I've gotten far more lessons uh, from my two kids than, than I have from, you know, my own, my own biblical knowledge or my own interpretation. So. And where's your wife at in all of this, the mom? The mom. Um, very difficult uh, initial period. Um, when you start talking about, you know, the nurturer, the protector, uh, just incredibly tough for her to watch uh, our, our daughter go through all this. Um, you know, again, when you talk about the protector role, I feel I really early on kind of felt it was incumbent upon me to try and shield her from as much as possible. Uh, so when it came to some of the uh, the less pleasant doctor's visits, I would sort of take the lead there. When it came to injections at home, I, I was the one who handled that. Um, but she's always been sort of the prayer warrior and the one who who gets her friends to rally around and uh, and bring things together and try to keep some perspective on it. So. Um, there are definitely tough times, but, but she's uh, she's also gotten to a place where we're far less focused on, on the outcome and the idea of certainty and far more focused on appreciating the things that we see every day. So right now, how's your daughter doing? We've even we've never even talked about her name. What's what's your daughter's <laughs> name? Samantha. Samantha. Uh, how's she's a bit Samantha? of a tomboy, so she goes by Sam. Sam. Uh, every how's opportunity Sam, she gets. How's Sam doing? Uh, how's like how's she doing in school? She's doing exceptionally well. Um, she, she's in a class in school, actually, where uh, it's uh, a bilingual course. So 90% of her day is in Spanish, even though English is, is her native, native language. Um, she brought home her first report card for the year uh, and has her lowest average uh, is a 94 right now. Uh, so she's doing very well uh, in the academic sense. Uh, physically, she's back to doing competitive gymnastics. Uh, so she's she's on team there. She did uh, 18 pull-ups at a party uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and our family's big on athleticism, you know, uh, running, doing all kinds of triathlons and outdoor stuff. And she ran uh, a mile in just under seven minutes, which for a 10-year-old is, is absolutely ridiculous. So um, she's done just amazingly well over the last couple months. And the doctors, what do they say about all this, where she's at right now? Uh, there's a lot of confusion, um, you know, yes. with her with her uh, second disease. They were willing to actually maybe start treatment based on a couple of guesses, but through through all of this, she's improved so much on her own. Uh, she's never received a drop of medication for her second affliction, uh, and that's part of what throws them for a loop. If she were doing worse, um, then then they might have. Uh, a couple better guesses, but just because she's she's done so so well, uh, they're at a bit of a loss to explain exactly what's happened with her. So prayers are being answered. Absolutely, yes. For those struggling with faith, you're not alone. Certainly, a great message in your book, "Abide in Me." Another great message: seek God in all things. Right. Absolutely. Silence the doubt in your mind and follow your heart. And in the middle of your struggles, God calls to you and says, Abide in me. We've been listening to Chris Slaughter. He's the author of his book, Abide in Me. Chris, what's the best way to get your book? Uh, it's available now on Amazon, Google Play, uh, Barnes & Nobles, uh, Ex Libris, the publisher, um, another source for that. Um, so uh, any of those avenues would certainly work. Thank you so much, Chris, for joining us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you, Steve. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.